complex and ever-evolving. It has plagued humanity since the dawn of time, and today we're still trying to answer the questions of what factors lead people to commit crimes and how we should balance adequate punishment with rehabilitation. We may feel that crime is a vice of a mere handful of people, but is that really true? On this episode of Shack Shack, we have Kim Ramsey, who is a criminologist with 17 years experience and a senior research officer at the Criminal Justice Research and Planning Unit. Kim also sits on two technical oversight committees on drugs and crime for CARICOM and teaches criminology part-time at the University of the West Indies, Cave Hill. Her research interests include deviant subcultures, re-entry, prison research, and violence. She's also published three books, Barbados Most Wanted, Murders That Shocked Barbados, and the Barbados Prison System, Chronicles of Incarceration, Death, Riots, and Reformation. Welcome, Kim, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you, and thank you for having me. So um, can you tell us what exactly is the work of a criminologist? Okay, sure, no problem. Um, a criminologist basically is a person who is trained to understand, assess, and explain criminal behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only criminal behavior, but the criminal justice system. Okay. And all the intricacies of the criminal justice system. Okay. And criminologists mainly work in universities, but they can also be advisors to government or other bodies on crime and the criminal justice system. <clears throat> in my capacity, I conduct research on all issues of crime and okay. the system, including victims, to inform policy. Okay, cool. So what was your experience writing the books? Um, I would say, you know, what inspired you? You know, what was difficult, that kind of thing. I keep telling people the most difficult part of my book was when it's when it was finished. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> In terms of putting it together, um, you know, having to work with the editor, um, graphic artist, and so on. Mm-hmm. And that part of it, the, the technical part okay. of it, is the most difficult. But I enjoy writing it. Okay. It's a lot. I enjoy writing because there's so much information out there that we the public do not know about yes yeah and it's all just sitting in files in the archives and you know the and libraries mm-hmm. newspaper new art libraries and so on there's so much information most of the information i got from my book is where that's where i got them from okay and you'll be surprised how much there is out there because you know our, our for instance our advocate has been around since 18 something mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. There's a lot out there, but I just think that we are not doing enough in terms of capturing the information. And then oral histories, we're letting too many people from the era of yesteryear, they just, you know, they pass on and we do not sit down and have good oral histories with them to, mm-hmm. to, that we can pass on to, you know, future generations. Okay. So as a researcher, I'm aware of these gaps yes, and I'm yes. trying to fill some of them now. My, I can't fill all my areas of, of expertise is praying. So I tend to write on things related to crime, but there's so much more out there, especially as a former colony that we Mm -hmm. can write about. And those growing up in the colonial era and post-colonial era that we can write on. So I encourage people to write and more importantly, to capture some of those oral histories from, you know, our great grandparents and our grandparents who were around in the thirties and forties and so on. Yeah. So that's what that my so my experience for the most part has been wonderful. Okay. Writing the book. The feedback has been nothing short of overwhelming. Uh, Bitches are very hard to please, (laughs) but I find that they really enjoyed it. I'm constantly getting nothing but positive feedback 
about my books and people just wanted me to continue to write the encouragement you know keep writing Kim keep yes, writing I yes. get it every day so it has been it has been for the most part very good okay that's good um so I mean you've been studying crime for a number of years was there anything that I guess really surprised you um, when you were completing these books I will use the word surprise it's because mm-hmm. nothing surprises me anymore to be honest <laughs> um but one of the things that I found that stood out in most of my books was our our system. Mm-hmm. Our, our 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 system was very lax, mm-hmm. um, you know, and a lot of things were allowed to slip, okay. slip through. But I, I I think I can safely say that that has improved significantly. Okay, that's so. Good. Like if you read if you read my the, the first two books, you would see what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, police dropped the ball on a lot of cases. A lot of things were allowed to go, to um, to go undealt with, and, okay. and um, and as a result of that, convictions were lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and 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 that's uh, and in my opinion, that's what led to a lot of our unsolved murders. Okay, you know, poor okay. police techniques back then and um, investigating procedures. But as I said, even police have admitted to me that that was that back in the day, but they have improved significantly. So that was an issue for me. Okay, coming out as it. a major theme mm-hmm. um, in my books. Not only the police, the prison as well. Okay. And how the prison has been treated, treated to, um, in, in this book, which I think is my favorite book, and that's because it is so rich in history. Okay. It's covered, it's spanned over 300 years of history. Um, the common thing coming out of this book was the fact that, you know, our prison has been neglected. The warning signs have been there since the 1900s, mm-hmm. early 1900s. Um, I have I have clippings saying Glendary is a disgrace and something must be done about Glendary. The constant complaints about the overcrowding and nobody did anything. So it is a, it was a powder keg literally mm-hmm. waiting to waiting, explode. And that waiting. is exactly what happened on the 29th of March, 2005. So yeah. these okay. are things that, as I said, we have been lax. I think I think partially because of lack of funding and lack of resources. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that when these things are not dealt with properly, then we end up with situations that are out of, out of control, basically. Got it. So, I mean, without giving too much away on your third book, I mean, you start to talk about, you know, prison and the prison and prison reform and that kind of thing mm-hmm. you know perhaps you can give your views on maybe a little bit on punishment and rehabilitation are we like hitting the right balance um <laughs> uh, i i think the prison means well i, mm-hmm. I have faith in colonel nurse i believe that he as a superintendent he really wants to see reform of prisoners i mean with, with a recidivism rate of two out of three persons being rearrested within five years in our penal system yeah, it is. It is showing us that you know that people are not really being rehabilitated. So we have to do, but we can't just say that because mm-hmm. people not being rehabilitated is is multi-causal. Because we have a lot of people who mean well when they're in prison, you know, they go into the programs and so on, but then they come back out into the same communities that caused them to commit crime in the first place. So you work with a man, you put him back in the system. Mm-hmm. He's not working. He's unemployed. You know, the little drug deal on the, on the corner tell him and come and sell a little fight bag for me and get some money. He, he has lost that structured environment of being in a prison where he's taken care of. Yeah. I know he's left to fend for himself. So that's one of the challenges we face in the criminal justice system. There's no proper tool care 
when you leave prison and come into society, that, that, that bridge, there's no bridge. So okay. you leave a man who's done 10, 15 years. And, you know, look at what happened to Peter Bradshaw, who is in my first book on Barbados Most Wanted. After spending 30-something years in prison and you're just thrown into society, yeah. it, it, it is very difficult, especially, How do you, you know, in, in cases where you are not properly rehabilitated to go back into a life of crime. Because yeah. it's, it's, I mean, you've, you've, you left prison, you left society at a very young age. And, you know, you, you come back out in your 50s with very little rehabilitation. So there's scope for it. But again, we need, to, we need more resources. That's one of the challenges we face in Barbados. There are not enough resources. Institutional capacity needs to be strengthened mm-hmm. in terms of stuff like psychologists, sociologists. There's not enough. And the challenge is... As for governments, is to balance the need for security versus the need for rehabilitation. So you will find that throughout societies, more money is injected into making sure the prison nobody can escape, mm-hmm. making sure yes. that we remove these people from society. But then it comes to rehabilitation, that is very very low on the on the on the, on the scale in terms of priorities. And I always say to people, yes, security is very important. But it, it is important to invest in that as well because mm-hmm. then we end up with dangerous people being released. You can't keep them forever. There are very few people that stay in prison forever. In fact, I tell people all the time, most people who have been condemned today, their society know. Yeah. When you go back and look through papers 20, 30, 40 years ago, you're sentenced to death and, you, and you're, you'll be, you know, be hung by your neck until mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, yeah. No, nine out of ten of those men are back in society now. So... That's just then. <laughs> the reality is that they get released. It's only it's only people like David Oliver and so on who are still in prison. But most of them are back in society. So we have to work with them because the reality is that that's what happens. I keep telling people that. Mm-hmm. Nobody spends the rest of their life in prison anymore. Fair enough. So, <clears throat> so we, have to, we, have to, we, have to, we have to work with, what, with, with the people we have in prison. And when, not if, when the day comes that they're released back into society, that we have a more productive, rehabilitated citizen who can, you know, mm-hmm. who can make a, a contribution to society in a meaningful way. Yeah. So, I mean, the, 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 I guess the other question I have, you know, and I guess some of it, well, we talk a little bit about, you know, pe- people going back into these circumstances, which, you know, kind of caused them to commit crime in the first place. But I guess what, in your view, is the most significant cause or the, you know, the key causes of crime in the region? Crime is multi-causal, and it's important for people to understand that. No one factor causes crime. Mm-hmm. What caused the man to kill the lady two weeks ago is not the same reason a man is going to go and blow off somebody's head. Sorry to be so graphic. In, in, you know, in, on the streets. People, keep, people commit crimes for different reasons. Why people engage in crime and what causes crime are two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with what, some, some of the significant causes of crime. On the individual level, sometimes it is persons that have poor social control. They, 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 you know, um, and, and that's one of the common things. People are unable to ra- rationalize their behavior. You know, some of us will say, you know, this is not worth it. It is not worth me going to jail. Mm-hmm, I need yeah. to learn to walk away. Some people do not have that capability and they need to be taught how to self-talk. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that are taught in the prison about cognitive reconstruction of their thought processes. Because, you know, you can see an action, but you do not necessarily have to engage in an action. Or that's psychotherapy, which I will not get into. Mm-hmm. But 
those are some of the reasons that people just do not have the ability to think for themselves. So we have community, we have the, and some people just have low intelligence quotient. Some people just are not intelligent. They have poor social skills. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these are, are, are sometimes spillovers of issues within the society. It is within their homes. So you have poor parenting. Some people are just not good at parenting. There's no manual on how to be a good parent. And this is consistent in research. Because in a lot of cases, when we look at the person's backgrounds, you find that they come up in, 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 in dysfunctional families. Yeah. With parents who are not able to, to, to basically guide them. They lack guidance. Sometimes many of them are raising themselves. Mm-hmm. So you have poor parents who have criminal histories. You have lack of social skills. I just spoke about that. They, they come from criminogenic environments. And by that, I mean environments where crime is conducive. They, it's conducive to criminal behavior. So you have a child coming up in that environment, seeing crime, being exposed to crime. And that's what they know. That's what they see. That's what they're taught. This is how it's going to be. Then they have poor role models. There's no role model in the home. There's no role model in the same community. Mm-hmm. And that's and these are some of the things that a lot of social social agencies are trying to work with. Give give some of these young people good social good role models to basically try to change their path, change their behaviors. Yeah. Another issue is we have a culture of violence and depravity. It is acceptable to be violent. It is acceptable to be rough and rude. Mm-hmm. It is acceptable depravity. As I said, people. I don't want to come down on crop over. I like crop over, but I've seen over the years, the behaviors, etc. you know, we have become more tolerant of a lot of things we were not tolerant of before. And anybody speaks out on it, they're, they're chastised. But the reality is when we, when our value systems are lacking, these are the things that are going to happen. So when you have cultural depravity, when you have a society that accepts violence, somebody you know, you're driving on the road, people curse you, people, it, it, everything is just anger and violence. Mm-hmm. 10, 20, 30 years ago, this, okay. is, this, 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 this is the result. This, this is the birth, what we're seeing now with our young people, our young children, being spoken to in particular ways. Their mother and father being, you know, aggressive towards them. They're raised in a, as I said, in a culture, in a community, in a society where, where violence is accepted and normal. Lack of education. Some of the men in our prison sitting now right now do not have any O-levels, any kind of education. We have some men in prison who are operating at, uh, their, their, um, their literacy is at mm-hmm. age four or five years old. Wow, okay. So there is a definite correlation between crime and literacy, crime and education. When you drop out of school at 13, 14, and you end up on the block, or you, you know, you yeah. again combined with the fact that you come from, so it's a combination of factors. When you have that person dropping out, coming from that kind of community, coming from a home where there's no good parenting, mommy and daddy laugh at the things that you do that are considered disgusting. You're on a pathway to delinquency and violence and crime. So that's at the individual level. At the societal level, now we have things like greed, corruption, mm-hmm. organized crime. We, we marginalize our young people. You come from a certain community, nobody wants anything to do with you. So you see... It, that's why I keep saying it's, it's not one factor. It is a combination of factors. Yeah. Um, alienation of a section of our society. You, you remember the days when certain communities said they didn't want to put down their address when I they're do. for a job I because do. people don't want anything to do with those people from those communities. So we're alienating them. 
We're saying basically that you're bad and we want nothing to do with you. Lack of, it's a lack of avenues for development. Our street culture, where to be a bad boy on the streets, you're looked up to as a hero. And that's, that's how subcultures work. Mm-hmm. And I talked about family dysfunction. You may come from a family with 16, 14 people living in a home with two, home, two bedrooms and a, and a, and a, and a, and a, um, a dirt floor. You're, you're exist, you know, and, and then because of that and all the problems within the home setting, the pull factor is the street, is the the brought who's going to show you love and, going, and see you as, you know, as his son or his brother, take care of you, give you something to eat. And you'll be, you, you in the, on the other hand, now become his soldier. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. Because you're taking care of him where he's not being taken care of otherwise, where he's being accepting and love. When you talk to the boys on the block, that's what they said. We're all family. That's their family. That's the family they know. Fair enough. So all of these are issues that we face. When you, when you have all of these issues and factors coming against you, what, many of them which are structural, many of them coming within the home. And as I said, the lack of, the lack of resources, it is a tall order. Yeah. We, these, these problems we face, they're not pop up overnight. Fair enough. I mean, so it's not social problems. That's the one of the first things I learned as, as a university undergrad. Social problems do not come up overnight and they do not go away overnight. Fair enough. problems you have to work on them so i mean that that definitely is something to think about and clearly there are you know many prongs that create a criminal environment um i guess the question then is you know what would you in terms of criminal from a criminal reform perspective and what we can do i mean it is as you say a tall order um are there any successful models maybe across the globe region well the first thing we need to do is to start working with people within the homes okay the parents need to understand that they're the primary agents of socialization Mm -hmm. and sometimes i wonder if parents understand the major role they play in their children's lives your child could become the next prime minister or the next um serial killer Mm -hmm. and they depend on how you raise your child to a large extent I mean, there are other issues as well as peer influence and so on, but I believe with a strong parenting, you know, mm-hmm. and a strong support system, a strong positive support system, that a lot of these problems can be taken away. Then we have to work with communities. Now, the, the Prime Minister right now, she's trying to work with families, this, um, families that are at risk, which I think is a very good thing. It's a, like a, a pilot project to see. You know, when you, when, you, when, you, when you work with certain families within communities, you may be staring a, couple, a lot of people away from a life of crime. Yeah. So there's a lot of work to be done in our communities. We need social workers to work with these young people, to work with them within the home, to work with them within the communities. We need to have more rehabilitation programs, and we need to have more programs for our children in the school setting. So I am one. I do not believe in the band aid approach. Now, a lot of people do not like when I say that. Mm-hmm. But the truth has to be said, and I do not speak based on emotions. When we continually talk about, you know, removing people permanently from society, that does not remove the problem that caused them to be. Fair enough. Committing the crime in the first place. I believe in proactive and not reactive approaches to solving any problem. So as it relates to crime, why not try to work with people who are going down a deviant path before they come, before they end up in the criminal justice system? That's how I see it. 
and we know who they are because we, we we know as i just outlined to you all the all the causes all the all the risk factors we know what the risk factors are why not work with them i, I keep, always use this example of a police friend of mine who says to me all the time that you can see who's going to end up in crime that he could see some of them with their prison numbers and they think they're 13 or 14. now if he can say that which means we can tell who's why not work with them before they end up with the prison number fair enough for that you understand me so i believe in i believe in interventions no it's not to say the government's not doing any interventions i think we need a more systematic and integrated approach yeah we need to remove a lot of the duplication that happens within the system and okay. narrow our because with limited resources we cannot afford to have to, duplication yeah. fair enough that so makes, that's one that of the major sense. things that i said i think we need to work at the community level and we need to work within the schools and and and, and um and, and even in the prisons, as I said, do not wait until a person is about to be released from prison. We, we need more interventions in the, pro, in the prison. We need the through care that I talked about, that transition from prison to, to the communities. We need to work with these people who are released from prison. Our aftercare system needs a lot of work. It is not effective right now in reducing crime. They need more resources. Okay. And, 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 and as I said, when we look at all these things combined together, an integrated approach to reducing crime, I think we can make a lot of um, headway. Okay. So, I mean, we talk, uh, I guess, I mean, a lot of the discussion around crime is maybe around violent crime and, you know, certain behaviors that are, I guess, obviously deviant. But I was just wondering in Barbados and the region, you know, if we are sufficiently concerned or pay enough attention to, I guess, what's considered, you know, white collar crime and the impacts of that. Which may not be which may not be as glaring, so to speak. All right, I'm glad that we have approached this topic of white color frame. Now, for your listeners, I think it's important to outline that there are many, there are many two types of white color frame. Mm-hmm. There's the occupational crime, which is committed by individuals in the course of their occupation for personal gain. Yes. And then there is corporate crime, which is committed by corporations, mm-hmm. committed for financial gain of the corporation. And the primary intention is to benefit the corporation. Yes. Um, we are mainly concerned in Barbados with the occupational crime, which is crime committed by the individual, by, like, like lawyers, doctors, mm-hmm. other professional workers. And it's, it's committed against their clients or the government. Mm-hmm. Things like embezzlement. If, you know, used in stealing cash and misappropriation or misuse of funds. Right. And defrauding their patients or clients. And you would see the story with this attorney who has been sentenced to prison for four years for stealing, basically for stealing misappropriation of her client's funds, half million dollars. Yes. This has been going on for far too long. And what is of concern to persons is that these persons are basically getting away with a slap on the wrist. We in Barbados and other jurisdictions as well, we, we tend to focus on crimes of the poor or street crimes. Yes. And we're not focusing on crimes like these. Crimes mm-hmm. of the powerful or even those who commit crimes while in positions of authority. We would have had the case of that going on internationally now with our former Minister of Commerce. And now we've had, I know of at least five cases where attorneys have stolen money from their clients. And it's not fair because there are people who go to prison for much less. Mm-hmm. and they go to prison quickly but we have cases this particular case was in, in, in the system for 10 years and she's only been sentenced to 4 years meanwhile her client has been um, 
it has been impacted both financially and mentally. I read that she 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 had to go on welfare. Can you imagine having half a million dollars in your position? The average person out there does not have half a million dollars. And you go from that kind of life mm-hmm. having to be on welfare. Can you imagine the, the mental impact that must have on that woman? That is true. And then not to be insulted, because that's what I call it. To be insulted with a slap on the wrist. This is the challenge that we face in our criminal justice system. And I said on my page, on my Facebook page, we cannot afford to have two Barbados. Because the same way I am watching this and I'm in the system, the, the criminals are watching it too. Mm-hmm. Why is she getting off? And why are the people, the, and the average person out there is watching this and saying, this is not fair. A justice system must be seen as just. And it must be seen as fair. And I, I, in my opinion, I do not think that we are working hard enough at doing that. Okay. Now, some of the challenges that we face is that that some of these senate people are given lenient lenient sentences. Now, there's a quote I want to give to you from a man called Bob Dylan. He said, steal a little, they put you in jail. Steal a lot, and you're likely to walk away with a lecture and a court order. Promise not to do it again. <laughs> This came from one of, um, one of my, my, my textbooks that I teach my students on white color crime. No, that's what I'm saying to you. This is a problem that has been international. We yeah. do not pay enough attention. And they continue to engage in these crimes. As I said, the bravery, the professional crime, even crime at the political level. And a lot of what people do, they giggle and laugh at it. You will see what's going on with the public accounts committee. The, the, um, the public accounts um committee that they're having their um they're having inquiries into into um transport board mm-hmm. money is missing people are paying three times the amount for a particular and why, why, why are these things allowed to happen who is coming who's going to prison for it who's being um so i'm hearing all the opposition leaders saying that if somebody does not have or cannot account for where the money has gone this should be made to pay basically mm-hmm. and again these things need to be these things need to be brought to, to the fore. Fair enough. Yeah, that that does definitely raise some interesting points. And I guess the same way, you know, as you say, we're asking them, somebody else is asking them too, you know. Exactly. And another problem is that we don't have our, our regulations are weak. We do not have strong enough legislation to deal with these things. In some instances, corporate crime is difficult to prove. Yeah. Then a lot of these persons who engage in these crimes, a lot of these rich persons, they have wealthy, skilled, highly paid lawyers. They don't go to legal aid. So they, so they go to these lawyers who basically help them to get off. Mm-hmm. They're, and they're given too many chances. You know, so you have a case where a person is given a whole 10 years to pay back, to pay back money. You understand? Yeah. So they, they, they're treated with kids' gloves. A lot of these people who engage in these crimes, they're treated with kids' gloves um, as opposed to the other persons who are not of such status. It sends the wrong message in society. Some of what we've raised here is that, you know, crime doesn't exist in a, in a vacuum, kind of like, you know, societal constructs impact, I guess, people's choices and these kinds of things. Um, in your opinion, are there things that the law must catch up to, um, you know, especially with outdated legislation. So, I mean, there are some challenges, obviously, that we see with, as we mentioned, white-collar crime and violence. But, I mean, in some ways, are we criminalizing maybe 
productive members of the society or over policing in certain areas, especially maybe some things that may be outdated. We talked about white collar crime and, you know, violent crime, but maybe there's there are some instances where the law is criminalizing what may be otherwise productive members of the society because there are some outdated legislation or anything like that. There are people like Marx and so on who will say that, you know, the laws are, are designed to, 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 um, to keep poor people incarcerated. <laughs> yes. Because, um, you know, he, he, he comes from a view of, of critical criminology. Okay. I, I, believe, I believe that the laws are, um, the laws are treating people, there are certain people that will be criminalized based on, um, on, on their status. You have to remember poor people are more visible. Mm-hmm. Than than people who are, who are not. A lot of crimes are committed in boardrooms, you know. Fair enough. A lot of crimes are committed in the, in in those kind of in, in in not only boardrooms but in places um you know where the rich and famous hang out. Mm-hmm. And and I believe that we um. I I believe that we do criminalize. If you look in the prison, how is the prison made up? The prison is made up majority people. Mm-hmm. And and it is and a lot of those people are in prison because of the, of their of their economic situation there are a lot of people who commit crimes that are not that are very serious crimes but they don't go to prison because uh, you know of who they are and who they're able to and, and the status of their attorneys this is the reality that we face not only in Barbados as I said but that's yeah, true it, it is who you are and sometimes people are afraid to say these things but it, 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 this is the reality um some people just have good lawyers that's the difference between going to prison and not going to prison that, that's quite true. Um, so, I mean, we, we've had a, you know, a discussion about uh, much that you've said just now in terms of inequality uh, from the perspective of like social class and stuff. But I was wondering if there is, you know, a sufficiently gendered analysis of crime in the region. You know, there's also a lot of intimate partner violence, you know, sexual violence and that kind of thing. So I was just wondering in terms of, are we looking at that sufficiently? Looking at how the legal system is responding? Um, there needs to be more work done on gender and crime. To, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, we don't do enough research um, on, on 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 gender. Um, no, there's the Bureau of Gender Affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a research department. They have a research officer. I don't know this, the the the, um, the magnitude of the work that they do, but we we need we need to do more work on. On domestic violence, we also need to look at violence against men. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I believe too that that's one of the areas that we are not strong enough on, because um, men are also victims of violence, and not only violence but domestic violence. Yeah. And um, we do not break down our statistics enough to look at the the, the difference. Um, between victims and perpetrators as it relates to crime. I can tell you no, men are more likely to be victims of homicide than women. Mm-hmm. Men are more likely to be victims of violence than women, whereas women are more likely to be victims of, of domestic violence. We all know this, these are facts that, will, that are hardly likely to change anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. But I believe that um, you know we, we need to do a lot more. Right now in my department at work, we are one of the studies that is going to be done is to look at female offending because that's one of the areas that we believe we that is not being paid a lot of attention to. Okay. And there are women committing more crimes. There are more women that are involved in crimes at different levels, even in gangs. 
even we, we um our our prison told me just the other day that you know they're finding more women coming to prison for charges like gun possession mm-hmm. that never used to happen a couple of years ago yeah but in many of these situations it is a matter of um persons stashing guns for you know their boyfriends or you know their brothers or so on they're involved Sometimes they're involved in major ways or sometimes they're just involved because, you know, we tend to focus more on the men than the women when it comes to crime. Mm-hmm. Um, so this study should be interesting when she looks at, you know, what are some of the causes, what are some of the factors involved. Okay. And, um, and when she does her interviews and song with some of these women in prison. So basically have a clearer look at female offending. Okay. Um, so in a nutshell, yes, there's more work that needs to be done. Um, but we are trying to fill that gap right here um in our department okay so um lastly uh you've written three books now which is by no means a small feat i was just wondering what is up next for you <laughs> i wanted to write something on unsolved murders mm-hmm. okay uh we have a lot we have a lot of those a lot okay. um so i i wanted to basically look at some of the old unsolved murders in Barbados. I would have looked at a few of them in my second book on murders that shot Barbados, but there are a lot more than those. Okay. So I, I wanted to look at those. I'm not yet sold yet. I'm still, you know, <laughs> still thinking about it. Still um, there's also, I also want to look at some of the bad boys of yesteryear um, who did not end up as most wanted, but there were still bad boys. Mm, okay. Uh, many of them who have been killed. Uh, and a lot of them whose names have been you know, out there on the streets for, for, for decades. Okay. Uh, so, I, I, and that's also another area I'm looking at. But as I said, it's some it's something between the two of them. Okay. Interesting. Um, but once I start to collect data, because that's the, always the challenge. I'm writing a book on um, on these boys. I will have to go on the streets to get that information. So that will yeah. take some time. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah. that's pretty interesting. I well, I said lastly, but then something else came to my mind. I mean, this has to be um, pretty heavy work, like and very taxing psychologically. Um, do you find it overwhelming? You know, the things you do to kind of Actually, like manage. I find it exciting. Okay, okay, <laughs> interesting. That's good to know. That's that's. I find it exciting. People ask me that all the time, you know, because as a woman, but I always say, if I did, if if I did not, if I was in a criminology, I mean. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. You expect to find dirty stuff. I, in my job, we do research on all kinds of stuff. It okay. comes with the territory. Um, when I did Barbados Most Wanted, I told people all the time, the actual interviews process was a book in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was extremely exciting and, okay. and hilarious in some, in some areas. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Okay. You know, okay. Going, into Mr., going to meet Mr. Hall's mother, who did not give me an interview, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Talking with her, with his, with his uncle, sitting in his uncle's house and talking to his uncle about Winslow. I mean, it was exciting. It was, it was okay. good stuff. Um, I interviewed the guy who was on the run with Winslow Hall. I went to his house and I interviewed him, and he was oh. more interested in he was more interested in me than doing the interview. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it, it, so those are the kind of things I, I tell people all the time. I think if a man was writing that book, he would have he would have. You would have got a lot more challenges. It's all sometimes okay. it's, it's always easier to be a woman when you're doing certain aspects of research. Sure. So yeah, it was it was exciting. Okay. And, um, even though I don't think this is something I'm going to be doing like five or six more books for sure, I may end up doing just one more. <laughs> <laughs>
just oh. one more and then, then you know, something have, else. Have my book so there okay for our next thing <laughs> well thank you so much kim for sharing your insights with us it definitely was interesting and i wish you every success with thank you very book. much all right and i enjoy having the um in, in- Thanks for listening. Don't forget to join us every other Wednesday for another episode of Shack Shack. Subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can also connect with us on IG, Facebook, and Twitter, or by email at akilia at shackshack.com. Let's shake things up.